from 0%, we won't budge yet. This week, it's nearing the end of the year, and that means we're prepping for budget season. Plus, we'll update you on the new housing and homelessness task force and the National Urban Park Plan. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 156. Mac, I don't have anything off the top other than I guess I saw Jason Kenny's Hot Boy Summer last night. And was it everything you hoped it would be and more? No, but people should still <laughs> go see it. Look, he, here, here's the risk with a show like Jason Kenny's Hot Boy Summer. It might be like a bad sketch version of This Hour Has 22 Minutes with over-the-top caricatures and you're just like, eh, the satire isn't really landing for me. And it was like that, yes. But it had great songs. They knocked it out of the park with that. So, you know... This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Go see the show, but you're not going to go see Hamilton. No Chandra yelling on a driveway, though, I understand. I will not release spoilers ever, Mac. Uh, that is my promise, and I shall not do it here. Spoiler alert, upcoming are three jokes in the Rapid Fire segment. The Savile Community Sports Center will be host to the 2022 World Dodgeball Championships. This is the second time Canada has hosted the event after Toronto was home to the Games in 2017. Said the director of facilities at the Savile Centre, quote, We're very excited to be hosting this prestigious event. After seeing the success of the World Cup Games in Edmonton, we're looking to build on that success. While this venue is indoors, I can assure Edmontonians that we have already procured snowmaking machines so we can guarantee that home field advantage. Ottawa has reached a deal with Alberta for $10 a day childcare, which is fantastic news for Lynn Kenny, who has been paying an arm and a leg for Jason's supervision each day. Demolition has begun on the historic and problem-plagued Legislature Annex Building. The building was constructed in 1951 and operated as the Alberta Government Telephones Building before being annexed into usage by Legislature staff. The building fell into disrepair and wasn't performing as expected, and therefore was terminated. A notice to that effect, written by City Manager Andre Corbold, was posted on the construction fencing outside, with the somber warning to the residents of the new land that the city annexed from Beaumont in 2019 to show their value or face the consequences. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and this episode we want to talk to you about pod power. That's the way that our sponsors make it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Your Forest, a podcast about the natural world. You can hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This podcast is for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. You can find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. So, Mac, it's November 18th as we're recording this. As our annual listeners will know, we're ramping right up into budget season. And there's another season that we ramp up right into around this time of year, and it it aligns with the first snowfall, and that's maybe callously the time of year where we start caring about housing and homelessness again. Yeah, unfortunately, fitting that it's housing month, I guess, that we we tend to do that around this time of year. There's been a lot of housing news this week. On Sunday, shelter occupancy hit 97%. 
So of the 773 beds across the six overnight shelters in Edmonton, 751 of them were accessed. And there was concerns all week long and has been in the news recently that we're just simply not going to have enough shelter beds over the winter to uh, make sure that everybody has a safe and warm place to stay as the weather continues to get colder. Mac, I got to say, I don't quite understand why we don't have enough shelter beds. Don't get me wrong. I understand, and we've talked in the previous episode about, you know, the challenges with procuring additional spaces for permanent supportive housing and things like that. But last year during COVID, we really ramped up. We had a bunch of temporary shelter spaces. I know one just across the street from my house on 99th Street opened up as temporary shelter space, and that's not going to be temporary shelter space this year. Why have we not in this ensuing 12 months found more beds for a problem, the most predictable problem of all? Great question. Don't know the answer. I think uh, people are trying, but as you pointed out, the ramp up that took place last year during the, the pandemic, we're still in the pandemic, but you know what I mean, in the 2020 part of the pandemic, was really temporary. It was the province saying, okay, we see there's a need here. We're going to kick some money into this, but it's not forever. It's a short-term thing. We're now a year later, we're in the same position, uh, almost Basically, since the day he took office, Mayor Sohi has been talking about this problem, talking about the fact that we might need 1,200 of these shelter beds across Edmonton over the winter, and we don't have enough. And lo and behold, the province has come forward with another short-term solution. Yeah, so this was actually really fascinating to me because I, when I start talking about housing and homelessness, I prepare myself for the inevitable quote from the councillor, the mayor saying the province needs to step up and do its part. So when I saw an announcement with Mayor Sohi and Jason Kenney announcing more money for shelter spaces and more money to combat houselessness, I was a pretty surprising piece of news. Yeah, what they announced was $21.5 million for emergency shelters and uh, domestic violence shelters to help the homeless this, this winter. About $7.2 million of that will come to Edmonton. And that'll help fill that gap that that I talked about. So we have 773 beds currently. We need more than 1,200. This funding will help us do that. It's going to allow us to put uh, a couple hundred mats at the Spectrum building near the uh, ex exhibition ground. So at the Expo Center, we've got more spaces for the south side shelters run by the Mustard Seed. And on top of that, they've also committed another $1.5 million to turn Commonwealth Stadium back into an emergency shelter with about 200 uh, beds at that location. So we do now have some funding to, it seems like, get us through the winter. No sign yet of anything beyond this Band-Aid solution, short-term Band-Aid solution. You know, as I listen to those numbers, you know, I'm not going to scoff at Edmonton getting, you know, close to $9 million uh, for housing and homelessness. But it reminds me a lot of the teen who does a very poor job of doing his laundry every single week so that when one week he suddenly folds a pair of pants and everyone celebrates him. It seems a lot like that. <laughs> That's a pretty good analogy, actually. We're glad that the province has stepped up, of course, but we could use more. And this is, like we said on our podcast with Geary and Crystal, Shelter spaces is not a solution to homelessness. Shelter spaces is the minimum amount we can do to be humane to this problem. But we need long-term solutions like permanent supportive housing. Part of that is going to fall to the new task force on housing and homelessness to really address this problem. But you were raising your eyebrows at the 
people selected for the task force? Well, I would say I raise my eyebrows at the idea that we need a task force at all. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that we know what the problem is, and we also have a pretty good idea about how to solve it. And instead of actually putting money into doing that, the province has decided to strike yet another task force to look at this. Uh, so this task force is meant to make recommendations that will help create an action plan on homelessness for the province. Again, I feel like the actions are there. But anyway, there are, I don't know, about 15 people on this task force, and most of the names are people that you would expect to see on this. There is Susan McGee, who uh, runs Homeward Trust. There's representatives from Boyle Street Community Services, Bent Arrow. The uh, co-chair is Patricia Jones from the Calgary Homeless Foundation. You know, no major surprises, except when you look at the other co-chair and you see that it is Dale McPhee. Edmonton's police chief. I seem to recall on a previous episode of the podcast, we were scratching our head because Dale McPhee didn't seem universally behind the idea of Housing First as a solution to homelessness. No, I think that's correct. He's not behind it. And in fact, after uh, the police commission extended his contract last month, he doubled down on his position and he told reporters, quote, it's not about just giving people a house, although we know that is an important step. End quote. And he talked about needing solutions and interventions beyond housing. This is despite the fact that Edmonton's housing first model has housed more than 12,000 people. We know that it works. And yet we have a chief of police who doesn't think that housing is the solution. And we evidently have a province that believes that it's a crime to be homeless. Why else would he be the co-chair? Like you earlier in the segment, I also have no answers for you. <laughs> so let's move to a topic that we can find some answers for. Uh, and that's the budget. Um, the budget is coming up and it has not begun yet. That's our December fun time. Every December, uh, council gets to go through the process of ending their year by going through the stressful process of budgeting, knowing that it's the last item on council's agenda. So as soon as they finish, they can just go home and have a relaxing vacation, but always with one or two counselors, really just staying there like the one person on the hung jury. Let's argue about this last $500,000 e-bike rebate. <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about budget coming up because we're in a unique situation where we have a new council, I think, Eight of them are new to council with only four people who have previously sat on council. We're going into the first budget of this new council right during a pandemic recovery. So I think there's a lot of things that are unprecedented and new. And I think to compound all of that, there's this question that everyone has sort of campaigned on the idea of giving taxpayers a quote-unquote break, uh, a 0% tax increase, and the upcoming budget suggests maybe a 1.8% increase. Yeah, there's a few things to unpack there. So of course, this is the last year of our four-year budget cycle, and the original increase for 2022 is supposed to be 2.6%. The city throughout the pandemic, has been working to minimize the burden on taxpayers. They've been trying to lower that. And so 1.8 is a decline from the original amount. You'll recall last year, we did the same song and dance. We had a higher percentage originally, and council worked to get that down to the first freeze in, in a couple of decades. 1.8% is what they're starting with. I'm 
quite confident in saying that it will not be 1.8% when it's approved. I think this council will definitely work to reduce that as they made clear when they were campaigning. The only other thing I wanted to mention, and based on your little opening there, Troy, is that while it's true that we do have so many new councillors, I'm not really sure that matters, especially with councillors like Ann Stevenson, who's been involved in many budgets on the other side of the table, Ashley Salvador, you know, many councillors who have been involved in this from other perspectives. You know, they're not coming in here like, what is a tax levy? Which we have had councillors ask in the past. <laughs> Apropos of nothing, at the end of the episode, we will be hearing from Joanne Wright, Mo Banga's successor. <laughs> So I think this council will have a, a good, healthy discussion about this budget this cycle, and they will probably not make all of the changes that they might want to make, knowing that our new four-year budget is what they'll be talking about over the next year. And really, the four-year budget is where council has the ability to really set the agenda, set the uh, direction that they want the city for the next four years. This is at the end of the day, just an adjustment to the existing budget that was passed by the previous council. That's right. One thing I wanted to talk about, though, that is budget related is it was news that came out just earlier today. And we had talked previously about the city of Edmonton planning to privatize bus cleaning service. So it was yes. about 100 jobs uh, that was refueling the buses and cleaning the buses at the end of the day. And this is going to be contracted out to be clean to save just over a million dollars. 1.2. And it was announced today that actually, nah, we're not going to do that. No, the city has reversed their decision, decided not to move forward with a contract for this. And so they're positioning this as having saved 100 jobs or more than 100 jobs. The union, of course, pushed back on the RFP that the city released back in June and I guess because of that pressure, maybe some other behind the scenes uh, pressure, the city now says that it will find that $1.2 million in annual savings, but through other efficiencies across the branch. And Eddie Robar, who is the city's branch manager for fleet and facility services, of course, did not offer any specifics about how exactly they'll do that. So I think there's two things to unpack there. Um, the first one is uh, if you intentionally cut 100 jobs and then decide at the 11th hour to nah, you haven't saved anything. You've just outed <laughs> yourself as a shark. Yes. Second, one part of the article really caught my eye, and that was from ATU local 569 president Steve Bradshaw. And he said, quote, I know that as part of the RFP process, the union submitted a document proposing a number of efficiencies that the city could act on and save some money, end quote. And what is going on there because it sounds to me like what happened here is the city decided we're just gonna union bust fire 100 people to save 1.2 million dollars and then the union said ah no 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 here's an idea we're just gonna use google forms instead of printing out some paper here you go we've saved you some money and the city said great i guess we won't fire 100 people why is this the process? Why is there not an incentive structure existing in all the city of Edmonton apartments to find savings and be rewarded for finding savings rather than doing it on a death knell to avoid losing your jobs? And why is this being sold as a good thing? <laughs> all fantastic questions. Clearly, the city should be 
proactively looking for those opportunities to cut costs. And one would think that they'd have come across this given the number of program and service and department and efficiency reviews that have happened in the last decade. And of course, you could also make an argument that if the union knew about these things that could have saved a bunch of money, they might have been proactive about bringing that forward too. It's not like it's a surprise that the city is in a precarious financial situation, you know, largely because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So a little bit of blame to go around there. More on the city, I would say. I mean, clearly this process is is wrong, Yeah, <laughs> as you pointed out. I think the other part that sort of got buried as we were talking about this is that the city sort of just like hand waved, ah, yeah, we're still going to save the 1.2 million. We'll just find it somewhere else, but didn't go into any detail where the somewhere else is. No. And Bradshaw, who you read the quote from earlier, said that, you know, they would act on the efficiencies that the union put forward, as well as pulling some budget from other places, whatever that means. And this seems to be a trend as well in the budget documents uh, that we will be talking more about over the next few weeks. The city estimates their shortfall in 2022 because of the pandemic to be almost 100 million, just under 100 million, 96.7. They said they hope to make it up in just one-time adjustments without an impact to the tax levy. I don't know what that is, but it sounds kind of hand wavy, right? Like I'm going to wave a magic wand and boom, $100 million, gone. Doesn't matter. I mean, one thing is if you looked outside in the past couple days and thought, hey, where are the snow plows? It's sure snowing a lot. Each snow event in the city of Edmonton costs us around $40 million to clean up entirely. So if just like you do a half-assed job of one of those, bing, bang, boom, you found $20 million in the budget, problem solved. I'm not suggesting that they did that, but I'm suggesting that they could. They should hire you, Troy, and save a whole bunch of money. But honestly, a $1 million in a $3.1 billion operating budget? Yeah. It's less than a rounding error. Insignificant, for sure. Yeah. Not to the 100 people, I suppose, who now get to keep their jobs. But yes, in terms of the process of finding efficiencies and talking about budget, not even a rounding error. Before we move on, quick budget highlights, some things that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks as we go through budget. Uh, the Edmonton Police Service is slated to receive $395.7 million next year. That's an increase of $11.9 million from 2021, but that $11 million increase is an $11 million reduction from the proposed amount in Council's Uniform Police Service increase budget. So the police... We're supposed to be getting $22 million, and we're only giving them an extra $11 million. Oh, those, those fiscal stewards on council. And whatever will the police service do with $11 million less dollars? How will they cope? $11 million more dollars, actually. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, the big date's coming up. Uh, council is going to be discussing the budget uh, beginning on November 22nd, and the public hearing for the budget is set on November 29th. So that's where you can go and have your Parks and Rec moment and really let council know what you think about everything. One last thing we want to get to before we introduce you to two of the new councillors, both of whom are new, is the National Urban Park. Now, we talked about this during the campaign uh, because there's a little bit of misunderstanding about what that was and what the implications were. And in our interview with Mayor Sohi, we broached the question and he gave some further insights into the National Urban Park. And that process has moved forward a little bit more this week. Yeah, this is a bit of a slow burn. It's starting to move forward. You'll recall the federal government had announced $130 million to create this network of national urban parks back in the summer. And there was an interest in having Edmonton's River Valley be one of those national urban parks. A report that went to Urban Planning Committee uh, this week basically said Edmonton could participate in this and that they just need to do some more research, essentially. Shocking. 
in a city report. So we are expecting to see an assessment and feasibility report that will not be paid for by the city, actually, but will be paid for and developed by Parks Canada. That's going to take six to 12 months, apparently. And once we get that back, there's no obligation or requirement that we move forward and do anything with it. It'll just, I guess, give us a little bit more information to decide whether or not it is indeed a good thing to declare part or all of our River Valley a national urban park. I thought it was really interesting that no specific site had actually been chosen. Part of me just thought, you know, if we're going to do this, it's just the River Valley is now a national park and just like sort of all of it. It didn't really occur to me that, you know, national parks do tend to have boundaries. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they've identified a section of the North Saskatchewan River Valley between Devon and Fort Saskatchewan uh, in their announcement as one of the areas for it. And I got to say, we'll see more in the report. I really expected if we were making anything a national urban park, it would be like, at the bottom of Grierson Hill, like where the funicular is, like right there. that That's what screams National Urban Park to me. I don't know. See, that part of the River Valley to me always screams like, we need more development. Why is there no development here? <laughs> I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of gravel pits and that kind of development in the River Valley, but I do think around our downtown, around you know the Rossdale Flats area and and over toward Louise McKinney Park, there could be more opportunity for people to actually get down and enjoy the river in the River Valley. So I don't know if this National Urban Park would conflict with that. I know the Edmonton Mountain Bike Alliance president spoke against this, interestingly, thinking that it might not work for cycling. So I guess we'll have to see in this report that comes back exactly what the implications would be for the various uses of, of the River Valley. Well, and on mountain biking specifically, you know, mountain bikers have a culture of being very good stewards of the land that they're on, taking very good care of the trails that they build. But they are building trails by chopping down some logs, building bridges, sure. They are modifying the landscape, which probably is not so kosher in a national park. Makes sense. Yep. Okay. That's all we've got time for on the topics this week. But we have, just like the past several weeks, two new counselors to introduce to you. It's always nice when a friend of the podcast gets elected to office. And that is the same with our next guest who joined us. Well, it was, I think, episode 30-something talking about the zoning bylaw renewal and we're happy to see her on council to influence and implement the zoning bylaw renewal. Welcome and congratulations to Ann Stevenson. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. Take us inside. For people who maybe didn't listen to your episode, don't know who you are, who is Ann? What makes Ann special? And why is it great that Ann won? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. That's a big question. You know, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Edmontonian, and I became really passionate about city planning as a way to build better communities for all of us. You know, something I love about city planning is it's really multifaceted. It's, it's all the different systems that make up our cities from sewers to social services. Uh, you know, I've been so lucky to have the opportunity to work uh, at various scales of planning. Uh, so at national levels, at very local levels, industrial land use planning, residential planning, um, and the really nitty gritty of the zoning bylaw, as you mentioned. Again, really, my, my career has really been focused on, on creating change and building better communities. And so it's a really exciting next step for me uh, to have the opportunity to influence that change from a city council seat. Mac and I could definitely presuppose what some of the issues you'll focus on during the term are, but we're not going to do that. We're going to give you the floor. What's something either you want to tackle first on council or something that might be the tentpole issue that you champion over the term? 
Yeah, you know, right now, as I'm settling into the seat, it's really figuring out um, you know, short-term wins, uh, things we can do really quickly with the upcoming budget. So I think there's a great opportunity. There's a bit of a, a pool of money that's not fully allocated right now that can be dedicated to community safety initiatives. That's something I was definitely hearing a lot about. Uh, and it takes, it takes many different forms. So, you know, from the downtown uh, and, and other business associations, experiencing a lot of disruption for their small businesses, you know, to, to folks living in Riverdale uh, with, you know, a really concentrated encampment issue in Dawson Park. Uh, so I'm really excited, you know, in the next few weeks, my priority is going to be uh, securing some of that funding for community initiatives. I should also mention, you know, Safer Macaulay, the Chinatown Transformation Collaborative, just looking to uh, shift some resources to support those phenomenal community-based safety initiatives. Um, but, you know, as you probably could have guessed, um, the the more permanent solution to me for for uh, safety in our community is ensuring that every Edmontonian has a home and the supports that they need. So really looking to champion that uh, continuously and vigorously over the next four years um, and excited to, to advance that initiative. So you've been on the other side of these issues, right? You've been in administration, you've got some insight, probably more than most of your, your colleagues on council into how administration makes decisions or how things happen once council gives direction. Do you see that as a strength or 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 a hindrance maybe to what you'll be able to get done on this these files that you've you've mentioned over the next four years? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned sort of sitting on both sides of the table. It's sort of a three-sided table as well. So, you know, I've had the opportunity to work within administration. I've had the opportunity to work as a as a nonprofit affordable housing provider. So being an applicant to the city and, and dealing with the zoning bylaw as an applicant. Um, and yeah, and now sitting in the in the city council seat, I think it brings. I think it's all advantage. To be honest, I, I'm really excited uh, just in terms of having the the connections and relationships with with individuals and policies and processes of the city. Um, knowing you know knowing the fantastic work that's already happening. You know, I'm also just so grateful. It's even more mundane than that, but you know, understanding what selection for debate means um, in a public hearing mm. process. I just. This past week has been uh, incredibly overwhelming. There's so much information coming at you. And I, again, feel so lucky that I've. it's not completely foreign to me. And I, I honestly don't know how my other council colleagues are keeping up with, with the huge amount of information. So I'm hopeful that I'm in a good place to be up and running really quickly. It's, it's feeling that way already. So I'm excited. We will see over the upcoming weeks uh, with committee selection and who gets put where. Is there a particular committee you're gunning for? No, so it, it actually committees have been announced. That was uh, our inaugural council meeting on Monday. Those were finalized. I'm very pleased to be on executive committee for this first term, uh, then switching to urban planning committee and uh, and finally on uh, community services. The other win that I'm, I'm super excited for is I'll get to be on utility committee for the next four years. Um, so that's, that's, again, probably a pretty mundane uh, committee to be on, but I think really profoundly important in how we build our cities. So uh, certainly very, very excited with all of those. And of course, knowing I look forward to being closely involved and, and following closely at Urban Planning Committee for the next year and a half as zoning bylaw renewal comes through and, and hopefully being able to provide some, uh, some insights and, and yeah. Uh, just just to help uh, that that project really achieve its full potential, uh, which I think is so, so exciting. Well, you've given us a lot of good places to watch for you for, and we shall be doing it. Uh, our close eyes will be 
ever vigilant watching every decision you make. So live in fear. <laughs> I, I'm picturing the, the Lord of the Rings. I just, yeah, uh, yeah perfect. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us and congratulations. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a real delight. Thank you. Our advertisers really want to get in your ear holes. So we're burying this part between the two parts that you want to hear from. So before you hear from the next counselor, you get to hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, which we're part of, a curated roster of Alberta-made podcasts powered by sponsors interested in reaching the community. We're happy to be a member alongside lots of other great podcasts, including Let's Find Out, a podcast about Edmonton's history by Chris Chengian Phillips. Episode 50 is the most recent, and it offers a peek into his day-to-day -day life studying to be a historian at the University of Alberta. You can find it and all of the other great episodes he's put together at letsfindoutpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out all of the other APN shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. When we follow city council, it's always incredibly exciting to us to see an incumbent go down because it usually signals a ward wants pretty significant change. And it's happened before this election three times in the 21st century. So... To our surprise, when four incumbents went back down in this last election, wow, um, one of the uh, giant killers was Joanne Wright in Spomitapi, who took down Mobanga. Um, Joanne, we're absolutely ecstatic to have you join us today and tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you very much. Glad glad to be here. Um, so what can I tell you about myself? Uh, I'm married. I have uh, three adult children. Um, unlike some of my other colleagues whose, whose children are a little bit younger, uh, if, if they have them. And uh, I've spent about, well, nearly 30 years in the financial services industry, both in banking uh, and insurance. Um, and I've, I've had some other varied jobs in between, working for a couple of MLAs. Um, so understanding a little bit about the, the political political life as well. And um, most recently, I was with uh, Alberta Health Services, uh, working in the uh, the admin side of their contact tracing department. Um, and uh, really, yeah, saw firsthand how how Albertans were being impacted by by COVID. Spomitapi is a ward that many of us don't have a lot of direct connection to. It feels like a different city. It's so far away from parts in the Northeast and central Edmonton. So I got to say it was a little bit of a surprise when, uh, for us, you came out of nowhere, but this is your community. You obviously didn't come out of nowhere. What was the process like deciding to run? Why did you decide to run? And how did you pull it off is, I guess, the big question, because incumbent defeat is very special. Well, I, I was born and raised in Southeast Edmonton, the Capilano area, and I've continued to live in the Southeast uh, area. My husband and I moved here about 30 years ago. And uh, so been involved with, you know, when the kids were young in their sports and their schools, uh, working on parent advisory councils um, and trying to stay involved in the community that way. Uh, most recently, back in 2017, I... Um, I actually had gone to a few community league meetings and tried to get on the board, wasn't successful with that. So I thought, hey, there's a municipal election coming up. Why don't I try to run for council? So um, I came a strong second against Mobanga. And, um, you know, then I, you know, sort of, sort of I, then I did get back onto the community league board. So uh, for the past four years, I've been working uh, with the community league, volunteering and uh, working as treasurer. Then um, with the, the election coming up this time around, 
I, I, I didn't really see um, a lot of cho- choice that I that I wanted to vote for. So I decided I would run again. Uh, I knew it was going to be a tough four years, especially coming out of this pandemic, um, you know, with budgets and everything. So I thought I could lend some of my experience uh, to to council with that. So I basically followed the st- same strategies I did back in 2017, got out on the doors, started talking to residents. Um, I'm, a, I'm a good listener, so I figured I'd continue just listening to the residents, what their concerns were. And um, I think that's, they were, they were glad to see the candidate on the doorstep in front of them. And uh, I think that's, that's how I wanted. I, I, I listened to people's concerns. And to answer your question, Troy, she did the work. She put in the work, it sounds That's like. Congratulations. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Go figure. Putting in the work gets you results. Um, so take us into that experience that you want to bring to council. What's an issue that you either want to tackle first on your first term in council or something that you want to be the tentpole issue that sort of like runs through your term? Well, I think overall the tentpole issue is to be the voice of the, of the residents, uh, to bring their concerns to council, whatever they may be, however they may change over the next four years as well. Um, from what I heard on the doorstep uh, lately, though, uh, safety is a big concern for them. Uh, so not only um, our, our road safety, um, we've got a lot of speeding that goes on in, in our neighbourhoods with some of the, the major arterial roads throughout them. And uh, so I want to work with administration, see if there's other some sort of enforcement or traffic traffic calming techniques that that could be utilized to to slow that down and keep people safe. Um, there's also the issue, um, and un- unfortunately, it 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 really came to light on on Tuesday morning when uh, one of our residents out in the Maplecrest area um, had. Uh, was hit by a, by a train, and that has been a, a concern uh, for the past four or five years. Um, so I, I I do want to offer my condolences to her family, and um, but it, but again, it it has highlighted the the safety concerns over in Maple. Um, some other things that they've told me about is uh, bus network redesigns not working for them. And um, so we have to take a look. I think we're getting a re- report uh, back from administration in January um, to look at some revisions or, or how things are, are working in, in bus network redesign. And um, and I and I, I guess part of the, the, the tent pole issue as far as representing the residents is representing the diverse communities that we have here. Um, there's, you know, and I've, I've had experience um, working with diverse communities and, and people uh, working both in banking and the insurance and, and, and the volunteering that I've done in the community as well. So making those connections and, and bringing those together, looking at our, what do we have in common um, rather than looking at our differences. Well, uh, I'm sure we will be very excited to see that representation throughout the council term. Um, I got to say a big congratulations to you. We're very excited to see you on a historic uh, Edmonton City Council, and you're a big part of that. So congratulations and looking forward to seeing more from you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for having me tonight. Have a great evening. Thank you. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week. So we'll see you then. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.